Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. Y'all been reflecting on everything he's done for you this weekend? I hope so. As Hebrews 12.2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He's the author and perfect of our faith. It says all those things. So we fix our eyes on you. Take a second right now. Just look at him. Not at, the, not at just the things he's done, but at the person of Jesus. Set your hearts on him. Jesus, we look to you. As we recount this story, as we recount your death and your resurrection and everything that was done to you and everything that you did for us, we look to you. We are so grateful to you. Thank you. Come on, just tell him thank you. When I was so undeserving, you looked at me and said, that's a person I'd I'd give my life for. Jeez Louise, I don't think I'd do it for myself, but you, you did it. And we thank you this morning. We thank you. May we, may we just find fresh revelation today in your story. May we find newness in your story. Would you open our hearts? Would you open our ears? Would you open our minds to what you want to speak to us today through your word? In Jesus' name, the church said, amen, amen. amen. We were, amen, amen, somebody over there. As a family, we were, we were taking communion on Friday, and Jess found these, like, kind of old, healthy crackers. If y'all don't already know this, it's somewhere in the Bible, in uh, Proverbs 32, probably. I'm just kidding, that's not an actual book. Y'all got to know your Bible. She found the healthy crackers, and healthy crackers are of the devil. It's in there. It's in the Bible. And uh, you know those ones that are like really weedy with all the texture that are almost like, what are those called? Like shreddies or mini wheats or whatever. And she found the healthy crackers and some good grape juice, and we were taking communion as a family. And my my daughter, we're all praying. They're each taking turns praying, and they're thanking Jesus for different things. It was so cute. And then my, my daughter Zoe goes, I like Jesus' blood better than his body. <laughs> I kid you not, word for word, this Friday. And I just was like, I want to remember that moment for the rest of my life. Jesus, I like your blood better than your body. If you get tired of hearing about Jesus, I recommend you find a different church. Because no amount of uh, self-help sermons can give you eternal life. No amount of perfectly crafted sermons can forgive your sins, but there is one found worthy. And today, above all days, woo, on Resurrection Sunday, we're going to talk about him unashamedly, okay? Last week was Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem with all that was about to take place and was yet to come. And here is, as Jess was reminding us, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the same God that said, let there be light, not riding on a chariot in some crazy, victorious, look at me, look at who I am, but he's riding humble on the back of a donkey. And he's riding into the town and the multitudes are laying down, they're taking off their clothes, they're laying it on the ground, they're finding palm branches and they're laying it on the ground. And it's this beautiful 
very polarizing sight of what was about to take place, where the multitudes were screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And the story takes a a dark turn, doesn't it? Where Jesus is betrayed by one of his closest friends after this moment. Judas, one of his 12, he goes to the high priest and he says, listen, how much money will you give me if I, if I hand Jesus to you? How much money will you give me if I, can, if I can get Jesus into your hands? Open your Bibles with me to Matthew 26. We're going to start in verse 20. And keep your Bibles out. We're going we're gonna to read a good portion of Scripture here. It's the first day of Passover. Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he's sharing what we, we call the, the Last Supper. And this is where he introduces communion. But before that, this takes place in verse 20, Matthew chapter 26. When evening had come, he, Jesus, sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Just goes to show they were all very aware of their, of their capability of sin. That every single one of them said, is it me? Am I the one that's about to betray you? Verse 23, he answered and said, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I, knowing what he's already done? And he said to him, you have said it. The first thing I want to point out here in the Easter story is that Jesus knew what he was getting himself into, didn't he? That he wasn't somehow blindsided about what was to come. In fact, he was the very one telling his disciples of what was to come time and time again. And they often didn't get it, right? (laughs) But he wasn't some, he was the innocent lamb that was led to the slaughter, but he wasn't blinded by what was to come. He knew, he knew, he knew. And later on in the story, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible recounts as he's praying to his father and he's saying, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Even so, not my will, but yours. He was full of sorrow as we were speaking about a couple weeks ago. Blessed are those who mourn. How he was a man who was intimately acquainted with sorrow and grief. Even in this moment, as, as his soul is troubled that the things are to come and the things that he has to endure and face for our behalf. And there's many these days that say all roads lead to heaven. It's to sort of like pick and choose your God and we'll all end up in the same place. And I want to tell you today that there is only one way to heaven. If the father made Jesus go to the cross when there were multiple options, how cruel of a father is that? And Jesus prayed that prayer, if there be any other way. 
but not my will, but your. There was no other way, ladies and gentlemen. Christ alone is the way to salvation. Christ alone paid the price for the forgiveness of our sins. Christ alone opened the door for us to be in eternity with him for all the days to come. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, say no one, comes to the Father except through me. Don't believe a theology that says the father didn't have to put his son on the cross. How cruel would the father be if he, if he did it, even though he didn't have to? It was the only way. So Jesus is then betrayed by Judas with a kiss. Kiss on the cheek, this intimate thing between friends. As the soldiers come and he's handed to the high priest and he's... All, they, they bring against him false witnesses, false testimonies. And he's, they begin to beat him and mock him and make fun of him. And in Matthew 26, verse 68, if you skip ahead, shares of this moment where they're, they're spitting in his face, they're striking him, they're mocking him, and then they say this, they say, prophesy to us, which one of us hit you? Which one of us hit you? You, Jesus, who healed the sick, who casts out demons, tell us which one of us is hitting you. In the midst of this moment, Jesus is betrayed by another close friend, another one of his 12. He's Peter who denies him, denies he ever knew him. The story carries on and Jesus is handed over to Pontius Pilate. He's a Roman governor. The crowd was in uproar. The crowd was angry. All the things that they'd already done and were about to do to Jesus. And here they are handing him over to the Roman governor, knowing they don't have the authority to kill this man, but hopefully he can get the job done. Knowing especially they don't have any authority to crucify this man, but hopefully he can get the job done. And Pontius Pilate... He finds no wrong in Jesus, right? The scripture recounts, y'all read it for yourself, we're not going to read all of it right now. But he recounts how he said, this man clearly is innocent. This man has clearly done no wrong. I can find nothing wrong with him. And Pontius Pilate has this idea. He's like, wait a second, I'll release a prisoner to you and you can choose And he thinks of the worst possible guy he can find. He thinks of this man, a murderer, a thief, a man who's done all sorts of wrong, who's paying his time in prison. He thinks of Barabbas and thinks to himself, I'll bring the people Barabbas because surely they'll choose Jesus over this man. Of course, the plan backfires. And they say, free Barabbas. Free Barabbas. But I love the, the foreshadowing of this moment that we are Barabbas, everybody. We are the guilty. We are the imprisoned in our sin. But because of Jesus and his life, in exchange, we get to go free. We get to walk out of the grave that our sin put us in, uh, the, the cell that our sin put us in, and we get to walk out free. We are Barabbas. And as Justin was reminding me after the first service, Barabbas is Barabbas, which is the father's son, it means. 
We are the Father, Son. Oh, that's the poetry of the Bible. I love in all these moments how Jesus being more wise than any of them, smarter than any of them. He's not saying snarky comments. He's not mocking them back. He's not saying hurtful things. But all the while, he's focused on what's ahead and what's to come and what he must do. And he's kind and loving and quiet. Beautiful. So after this moment in Matthew 27, verse 22, as this plan backfires on Pilate, he says to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said to him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and our children. What a thing to say. Verse 26, then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This moment, right, where everything's backfiring on Pilate and he wants nothing to do with it. The crowd is freaking out. They're, they're screaming for Jesus to be crucified. And he's saying, this man has done no wrong. I want no part in this. But Pilate wasn't in control. God knew what he was doing. And Jesus had to go and endure the cross. We know that. And so Jesus is handed over to the torturers. And he's whipped. He's lacerated. His back is lacerated. They put a crown of, they put a crown of, twist the crown of thorns and place it on his head. They place a robe of, of royalty in, in a, in a way of mocking him. And they're beating him and they're laughing at him and they're doing all sorts of wrong to our Lord. And finally, Jesus is marched up the hill to Golgotha, the, the hill of the skull. And he's nailed to a cross. He's nailed to a cross for our behalf. And Luke recounts in his gospel the story of the two thieves beside Jesus. One of them mocking Jesus. Just the amount of ridicule and mock Jesus had to face all through this. As this man, this thief on a cross is now even mocking him up there in his pain and his agony in this lowest place. And the second thief, what does he do? He rebukes the mocking thief. And he says, listen, we are deserving of the punishment that we're facing. But this man has clearly done no wrong. And here you are and you stand and mock him. And there's this beautiful moment where he turns to Jesus and he says, remember me today when you enter your father's house. And what does Jesus reply? This man gets to go down in history, probably is the man that made the the most skin of his teeth, right? (laughs) The last, like here he is on a cross, his life is pouring out of him, let's be honest. And that that last possible second, as he says that to Jesus, Jesus says, surely you will be with me today in paradise. It's just who he is. Turn with me to Matthew 27. We'll jump down to verse 45. Y'all doing good? 
Isn't God good? Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out. Here he is on the cross now, okay? He cries out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is that moment that 2 Corinthians 5 talks about, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That it was in this very moment that the, the sinless one, the one who had came in a virgin birth, lived a sinless life, now became sin itself. Verse 47, some of those who stood there when they heard it said, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink it. And the rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and save him. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Some, some gospels say that he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What a beautiful prayer. Verse 51, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy, holy city and appeared to many. We don't talk about this enough. Like all of a sudden the, the city's like, hey, Greg, hey, Steve, or... Some better Hebrew names, as I joked in the first service. But like all of a sudden, the dead are getting up out of their graves and walking around and like greeting people and saying hi. Think about this, everybody. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. You know, we've... Some of us have grown up in church. We've heard this story. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time today. If we've heard it a lot of times, it can almost become like white noise. But let us remember, let us reflect today on the things that Christ did for us. Let us reflect on what the city would have been like in this very moment. As darkness covered for three hours in the middle of the day. Passover happened at full moon. Like there, It wasn't eclipse. It wasn't some sort of thing. This was... The earth responding to the death of the Son of God as darkness fell over the land. And people are coming up out of the graves and the, the, the veil and the temples being split in two and there's an earthquake and all sorts of incredible things. And the chief priests and the religious leaders, they're terrified. And so they, they go to Pilate and they ask for, for an armed guard at Jesus' tomb. Jesus is then taken from the cross. He's placed in the tomb. A stone is rolled over it. And they secure two guards to be placed at the tomb because they remembered the words of Jesus when he said, three days later, I will rise. His disciples kind of forgot it. It feels like a little. <laughs> but these guys were afraid. And they remembered. Turn with me now to John chapter 20. We'll start in verse 1. 
I love hearing those page, pages flipping. Well done, y'all. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. We need to appreciate that Mary Magdalene was the same woman that Jesus delivered seven demons from. And it just goes to show you that your past doesn't disqualify you because this is the woman that was the first witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just saying. So she came running, verse 2, to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. I love how John throws that in there. And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb, and both were running. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Don't you love John, the one whom Jesus loved? He's humble enough not to say his name, but he's competitive enough to need to let everybody know for all all of earth's existence that I was the one who beat Peter to the tomb. (laughs) Peter's reading this later on like, what the heck, bro? Verse five, John, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. And they did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Many of the Christians of the believers, they didn't believe that Jesus had raised from the dead until they saw him. But John is like, I believed in this moment. He understood. He had a revelation of Scripture. Now, Mary, Mary Magdalene, she didn't believe yet. And it says in verse 11 that she still stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, Why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Whether she was in unbelief and couldn't believe that Jesus was standing before her, she like literally couldn't process it, or whether Jesus had appeared in some new way, we don't know. But for whatever reason, she's before Jesus and she doesn't recognize him. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. I love this moment. I would take a second to appreciate it. In the, in the moment her eyes failed her as she heard her name in the voice of Jesus, her eyes were illuminated. It's like when he calls us by name. It's like, oh, Jesus. 
you call me by my name. And nobody can say it quite like him. We know it's his voice because nobody quite has that sweet intonation like Jesus. And this moment she recognizes, oh, it's you, Jesus, it's you. I love that we serve a God who exceeds expectation. Y'all know that? Tell somebody you serve a God who exceeds expectation. As Mary was coming to the tomb, expecting to see her Lord and Savior Jesus wrapped in grave clothes, laying there, his body dead. Some of the scriptures uh, will tell how Mary, the mother of Jesus, was with Mary Magdalene and how uh, he said, come and see, come and see where they, they laid him. He's no longer here. It's like the place you thought he would be, he is no longer Another of the gospels said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? (laughs) Why are you looking? There was no tomb that could hold him in there. The guards couldn't keep him in there. They probably passed out the second he's like, hey, guys. (laughs) Nothing, right? No powers on earth, no dominions of darkness could keep Jesus in that tomb. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is above all things. He is before all things. He is the only road to salvation, and he is the all-powerful creator of the heavens and this earth. He exceeds expectation. And for him, death is not the end. It's simply the opportunity of resurrection. His birth, his ministry, his life, everything is leading up to this moment when all hope seemed lost, as Jess was encouraging us, on the silence that was Friday after his death and Saturday, everything was leading to this moment where God had a plan that was God-breathed, God-designed, and man could not get in the way of it. Even the way everything happened, didn't it fulfill like 61 prophecies, I think it is? John 3, 16, y'all know it, tell your neighbor it. See if they know it, come on. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. If you didn't get it, you can leave. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> for God so loved the world, that was a joke, everybody, for, for real. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but now we have eternal life. I love it. Uh, Verse 17 is often missed, but it's beautiful too. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Aren't you grateful today on Resurrection Sunday that he didn't come to condemn you, he came to save you? Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.